another edition of Rick's Mix. I'm Rick, and this is where I just talk about whatever the hell is on my mind, whether you like it or not. You want to listen? Listen, great. If not, hey, you know, there's plenty of other podcasts out there. So listen uh, tonight, for anyone who has not heard the news, um, which I guess would be anybody who's not on my Facebook, um, I just recently accepted a new job, and so we will be leaving Europe pretty soon. Uh, my new job is in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And uh, I figure we got about another, I don't know, three, maybe four months here because it takes a lot of paperwork, a lot of time with all that crap when you're working for the government and you move jobs. So uh, tonight I thought it would be cool. I started thinking about, you know, hey, all these years I've been in Europe and really overseas in general. Um, what are some of the things that I'm going to miss about Europe? What are some of the things that I'm not going to miss about Europe? So I literally off the head, off the top of my head, just started writing some stuff down and uh, I thought it might be kind of fun to go through them, talk a little bit about them, and then uh, we're going to call this part one, because uh, I have a feeling that as I go through this in the next few weeks and get closer to leaving, that I'm going to start thinking a lot of, of a lot more things that I'm going to miss or not miss about Europe. I've even thought it would be kind of fun to get the kids involved, so I told uh, Max and Luca, hey, why don't you guys start jotting down maybe 10 things that you're going to miss about Europe, 10 things that you're not going to miss about Europe or overseas in general. And uh, if they're good, maybe we'll do a podcast about them. So, uh, so without further ado, uh, we're going to get into it. I'm just going to talk about it. I'm going to say what it is, and I'll say whether it's something I'll miss or that I won't miss. And if it's something that I won't miss, then, you know, you know me, I'm from New England, and, and we like to complain, and we like to vent and rant and ramble. Uh, so there might be some of that. Uh, I will not apologize. I'm going to have fun with this. I'm just going to let it all hang out, baby. So let's go. So. The first thing, this is something that I will miss tremendously about Europe, and that is walkable downtowns. And when I say walkable downtowns, Europe was, was laid out, well, not laid out, but it was mostly built, you know, year, I mean, hundreds, some, some, in some cases, thousands of years ago, uh, when most of the town, you know, there were no cars, it was just horses and buggies. And so you had sort of the, you know, the center of town. Uh, was where everything happened. You had the markets, and you had, and everybody, everything sort of emanated out from there. Of course, in the old days, you had the markets and the churches. That's where everything started, um, and then everything emanated from there. And so, it, it's kind of cool that how everything's laid out uh, in Europe. So yeah, so everything is sort of centered, like right in the, a small area of downtown. And a lot of these cities in Europe, you know, it, it's so like I said, it was built when when there were just horses. Uh, and so cars can't even fit in a lot of these, these cities downtown, but they're beautiful because everything, since everything started in one little sort of center and sort of just emanated from there, all of the old towns are, are just easy to walk to. And it's great because everything's right down there, you know, in the U S it was like, my goodness, everything is so spread out. You know, the U S a lot of these cities were built and founded after cars are even invented. And so, you know, it's like, you got a little patch of city here. You got a little patch of city there. You know, and it's like you got to have a car to do anything. Not in Europe. In Europe, man, you just go downtown, boom, you can walk to everything. And it's great. Great for pub crawls. Uh, you want to you hit different restaurants, whatever. Everything's right there. Everything's right there, and you can just walk to everything. And we've been fortunate uh, to be able to live close to downtown or right in the middle of downtown in most places we've lived uh, in Europe. And so we could just walk to everything. And I missed that, man. I missed it. I hate having to get in my car and drive 15, 20 minutes just to get something that in Europe, you know, I could just walk literally like three or four minutes for so people who have been in europe you know what i'm talking about uh, along with walkable downtowns the next one uh is something that i will obviously miss tremendously and that is i have i wrote down outdoor cafes but really it's just kind of cafes in general i say outdoor cafes because i one of the things that was one of the first things i loved about europe when i first came here that i noticed that was different it was like man you go downtown and there's just all these outdoor cafes everywhere or cafes with outdoor seating and you just sit there and you just, you know, you get a cappuccino, a coffee, a beer, a drink, whatever. And you can just sit there and just people watch. And it's great, man. And the beauty of the cafes in Europe is, it's this is where it's different from the U.S. So if you go into like a cafe in, you know, Italy, Germany, whatever, you order like an espresso, a cafe, a beer, or whatever, one drink. Guess what? You just bought the right to sit at that table for as long as you freaking want for that day. You can stay there all, you can stay there three or four hours. It doesn't matter because you bought something and so you just bought the right to sit there. It's not like the U.S. where it's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to have a coffee and then they look at you with disdain because they think, well, we're not going to make any money on this guy. 
And then, you know, you drink your coffee and then 10 minutes later, they're like, okay, sir, is there anything else we can get for you? And you say, no, they'll come back five minutes later. Sir, is there anyone get for you? Because we have to, you know, we need this table. We got to turn it over, whatever. Not in Europe, man. Europe, particularly places like Italy, France, Germany, you know, you, you sit down at a cafe, you get a drink. You just got that table for as long as you freaking want it. And nobody's going to force you out. Uh, Venice is kind of a little different sometimes because Venice is chock-a-block with tourists, you know, they'll try to kick you out early, but, uh, we never had any of that, but yeah, so that's a big deal. I, I'm going to miss that about the States. I, that's something I just never really had there in the States. They want to get you in, they want to get you out so they can turn over the table. Uh, what do I have next? Okay. This is definitely something that I will miss train stations. Now I, I haven't done a whole lot of traveling on this tour. Um, not as much as I did when I was younger. When I first came to Europe, I went to Germany in 98 as a young soldier. Every single weekend, if we didn't have duty or if I, I was free, I would just, I would literally sometimes just go to the train station, just look at the board and look, find a, a, a location and say, oh, Zurich, oh, I've never been there. Let's do that. So I go there, I buy a ticket to Zurich, I just jump on a train and go. You know, that's something you can't do in the U.S. You know, it's, trains are just, trains are an integral part of Europe and I love it. And even beyond just the train travel, I say train stations because train stations are kind of like airports, you know. In in Germany especially, man, these train stations, well, not just Germany, Italy, France, everywhere you go in Europe, these train stations are huge. They're like centers of, you know, social things, and they got restaurants, and they got shops, and they got stuff. And I mean, in the Wiesbaden, since we've been here in Wiesbaden, we haven't, I haven't, I haven't personally taken the train once, but I've been to the train station in Wiesbaden probably, cripes at least 50, 60 times just because there's a McDonald's there. The kids want McDonald's. There's a international press shop where I used to get my Italian paper. There's a Dunkin' Donuts in there. So the kids want the Dunkin' Donuts. There's a little convenience store. If you're in the area, you pop in, you get, you know, some snacks or glass or a bottle of wine or whatever. So yeah, train stations are great. We just don't have anything like them in the U S. Uh, next thing, this is something I will definitely miss. Um, and this goes back to uh, something I miss doing with the kids. And I wrote down Calcio stickers and the whole deal with Cal so for those who don't know i know there's this whole with the world cup i saw this all over the place it drove me nuts there's this huge stupid uh, argument about oh is it called soccer or is it called football the rest of the world calls it football only the u.s calls it soccer and that's stupid because yeah fine okay everywhere else just about in the world they call it football or foosball or something along those lines the u.s calls it soccer who cares guess what in italy it's called calcio which literally is the italian word for kick but that's what they call soccer in Italy, calcio. So who the hell cares what it's called? But anyway, yeah, so as you know, we're all big soccer fans. And and this is something that doesn't really exist in the States. So they come out with these, uh, there's a sticker company called Panini. I think they're in the U.S. now. I've seen them in a few places. And we have them at the PX. Um, the company is called Panini. And they put out like, so Syria A is the Italian league. So they'll put out a sticker book of Syria A. And, you know, the goal is to go out and collect these packets of stickers and and, you know, you got to collect all the teams and all the players and everything else. And it's just it's one of my favorite things to do with the kids uh, because we always – what we do is we have, we make it fun. We do a little reward system. It's like, you know, our favorite team is Milan. So we say, oh, if you get a Milan sticker, you get, you know, you get a special prize. If you get this guy, he's our favorite Milan player. You get first place. You get, you know, you get dessert tonight or whatever. But we have fun with it. And uh, I'm really, really going to miss that. I and these these days, you'd think you would be able to to order these things online, but I've I've looked and looked and looked online now that I'm in Germany, and I, I can't even find them here in Germany for the Italian stickers. I can find German ones, but they're all in German, and we don't really we're not big Bundesliga fans, so um, so yeah, Calcio stickers, big. We're gonna miss those. Uh, let's see. Here is one thing that I will not miss about Europe. Uh, and that is having to worry about carrying two different kinds of money everywhere you go. Now, admittedly, it was much, much worse when I first got to Europe in 98. It was This was before the euro. And, like, every country had their own currency. And it was, man, it was, well, in a way, it was kind of cool. Because, you know, I was a young soldier and a free spirit and traveling all around. It was kind of cool because it's like, oh, every time I go to a new country, I get to get a new kind of money. I go to France, I get the franc. I go to, to the Netherlands, I get the gilder. You know, I go to Austria, I get the shilling. You know, Germany, I get the Deutschmark. Italy, you get the lira. But, um, you know, as much fun as that was, it was kind of a pain in the ass when you're doing a lot of traveling. You're like, shit, you got to keep changing money everywhere you go. The euro, the euro made things a lot easier when you're traveling around Europe. But, man, it's now, all these years later, that the newness of, of having the euros worn off, it's like, oh, everywhere I go, i got to carry euro and i got to carry dollars. Because, you know, if you're on base, they don't take euros. If you're off base, they don't take dollars. 
I mean, so I these days it's like I barely even carry cash. I'm like I just use my card just to avoid the the the, uh, the nightmare of it all. All right, next thing on the list. This is something that I well, not just I, but Virginia especially will miss, and that is public transportation. Public transportation in Europe is fantastic. Um, it I mean it's not just the trains. It's you know it's the buses as well. The buses go everywhere. Virginia does not drive. It's a long story. I know we'll get into it maybe in a future podcast. She's never driven in her life, but she has learned her entire life. She's taken public transportation. So everywhere we go, whether it's Germany, Italy, Korea, whatever, she learns pretty quick how to take public transportation, you know, buses and stuff like that. Uh, and then she gets around. She gets everywhere she needs to go. It's fantastic. You know, as I talked about in the beginning with the walkable downtowns, you know, it's it's a pain in the ass in your in the U.S. because everywhere you go, everything is so spread out that it even with public transportation, it makes it hard. I mean, I remember when we lived in South Carolina, um, one of the one of the difficult things was that um, it, it, some. I mean, we lived in Sumter, as you know, as you guys all know, I call it Scumter, and uh, they didn't really have any public transportation. And you know, it's a, it's obviously not a huge city, but it's still the size of a little town. So Virginia couldn't get anywhere. If she couldn't walk there, it was impossible for her to do anything or get there. So, you know, these public transportation, like every little town in Europe has it, it seems like. And, you know, even the littlest town has like a bus that will connect you with wherever you want to go. They didn't even have that in Scumter in South Carolina when we were there. So it's another reason I hated that freaking joint. Um, so, yeah, public transportation is a huge thing. And it, it's not just within the countries. I mean, you take it everywhere. I mean, we already talked about the train, so we're not going to go too much into it. But, my goodness, public transportation gets you anywhere you want to go. Um, another thing that I am definitely going to miss are the fests. Uh, the fests, I mean, I, when I say fest, I'm talking about most mostly in Germany. And I am not talking about Oktoberfest. I am not talking about Oktoberfest. I went to Oktoberfest once. I didn't care for it. I know. I just I, The problem is we went with a company trip. I didn't have a reservation in the tent. So I went to Oktoberfest, and I was like the only person there who couldn't get a beer. So, you know. Uh, but there are smaller fests everywhere in Germany. There's smaller fests everywhere in Germany, and they're all fantastic. I mean, the Germans, I mean, it's funny because the Germans are so staid and so, you know, laid back and so sort of reserved and buttoned down. And yet they got so many goddamn fests for every little thing. It's like, oh, let's have a fest for, for springtime. Let's do a fest for August. Let's do a fest for this. Let's do a fest for that. And they're great. So here in Wiesbaden, um, well, it sucked when we first got here because of COVID. All the fests were basically canceled. Um, but then after COVID, so this past summer was great. So they did. They do one downtown that they did. It was called um, it was called the Sommermarkt, which means like summer market. Um, but it was colloquial, colloquially called locally in in English, believe it or not. The uh, after work fest. They in, even though we're in Germany, they called it in English the after work fest because what it was was in the, right in the down like the main uh, plaza, the main plots here in Germany is called the Mauritius plots, and it's like right in the middle of everything. And they set up these little this uh, like bunch of tables, outdoor tables, a little food stand, or actually a handful of food stands. They had flamkuchen, which we'll talk about that in the future. Um, they had I don't know a pizza, some other stuff, and then they had of course their ubiquitous bratwurst and schwein steaks and all that stuff. And then they had a big, long um, uh, stand that had all kinds of drinks. It was mostly for wine, you know, like German wines. Um, but you could also get beer on tap, or the Germans call Vomfass. Or you could get uh, even mixed drinks. You get anything you want. And it was supposed to be like, ostensibly it was a place for people to kind of get together after work. And just kind of, you know, get a drink and visit and stuff like that. But it literally started in like late May, June sometime. And it went all the way through... Like Labor Day, it was like the first weekend in September, and so it was great. And we lived close to downtown, so there was times where you know, people at work, we'd say, "Hey, you know, you want if we had a couple friends that I work with that live downtown, we're like, hey, you want to go grab a drink? Yeah, okay, I'll walk down. So we meet out, we have a, have a couple drinks and and chat, and this is and that. And it's like, man, I never seen anything like that anywhere else. It was the coolest thing. It literally was just on every single day of the summer. It was great. So the Germans. You would never guess it, but man, the Germans have just raised their fests to a new level. The German fests are just fantastic. Uh, okay, yeah, here's something that I am not going to miss, and that is having to watch sports in the middle of the night. Obviously, we're, we are six hours ahead, I mean, depending on daylight savings time, because we're, I think we do it, Germany here, I think we do it like 
two weeks after the U.S. But yeah, most of, most of the year we're six months or six months six uh, six hours ahead of East Coast time. Uh, and so you know it, this, and I'm going to tell you right now, this is what sucked for me being in Europe all these years. So I left home in 1998. Okay, and in 1998, um, Boston sport teams sports teams were not that great. Okay. Celtics hadn't won anything since like 86. Red Sox hadn't won anything since 1918. Uh, Patriots had played in the Super Bowl in 96, but got their asses kicked by the Green Bay Packers. Um, and they were kind of a decent team because they had Drew Bledsoe. Um, and then uh, the Bruins were just kind of, you know, peddling along. But and one of the things that was difficult for me to leave when I left, when I made the decision to join the Army, was I'm like, man, I, how can I... I mean that was like the best. That was like the best thing I had going back home was watching you know sports with my buddies. You know, taking going down, taking the the, the tea into Boston and, and going to the Red Sox games, um, watching the Patriots games on Sunday while we you know scoured to the Boston Sunday Globe, watching Bruins games with the, with my friend the Slav. You know, just it, it was just we're big sports fans there. But the Boston teams hadn't done anything, so when I left, I was kind of like, yeah, it sucked. And then all of a sudden, everything changed and like. 2000 that was when the red sox i mean excuse me that was when the the patriots won the world series or, jesus what's wrong with me tonight um that is when the patriots won the super bowl and it's like that kicked off this huge thing to where like the patriots with his 20-year dynasty next thing you know the red sox are winning world series they've won four of them like in the past 20 years uh, Bruins won a, a championship in 2011 the celtics are kevin gunn they were good and for me it was like, man, I have to watch this stuff, especially Patriots game because they were so they were so dominant. But I had to get up at like, you know, in the middle of the night to watch all these games, and I did. I was in the army. I was a little younger, and even as I got older, I'm like, I gotta watch these games, man. I can't miss the Patriots game. So you know, because every game was always like a big game, and man, it sucked. And especially you now, it's one thing. It's like you know. I remember getting up in the middle of the night to watch them win a Super Bowl. It's like, okay, i got to go to work the next morning. But at least you're happy because, you know, the, the Patriots, your team won the Super Bowl. The worst was when you got up in the middle of the night at like, you know, 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. to watch your team win, you know, in the World Series at a Super Bowl or something, and they lose. Now you're dragging ass the next day, and you're tired as hell, But you, and your team lost, which is like a double whammy. So it's always that's – and, it, and it's the thing is I've missed now. Now all of a sudden all these dynasties are gone and everything else. I know the Bruins are on pace for a record season this year and everything, and Celtics are in first place. But, but you know, for by and large, I, the entire, like, Patriots dynasty and all those four Red Sox World World, uh, World Series teams, I was I was overseas for. And so I never really got to watch it, like, at a normal time, like, with my buddies back home. It was always, like, myself in the middle of the night. You know, occasionally the kids would get up and be like, I remember one time I was watching, uh, I was watching one of the Red Sox World Series games, and Luca was just a kid, probably, like, maybe three years old. And he happened to wake up in the middle of the night, came in downstairs while I was watching the game and crawled up next to me. And he says, I want to watch the Red Sox with you, Daddy. And I was like, hey, got to admire his dedication. But, of course, within 20 minutes, he was asleep. But, yeah, that's what it's like for – that's what it's been like for me as a sports fan for the past, you know, 20-plus years. Getting up in the middle of the night just to watch my teams. It's to the point now that sometimes I just don't bother. Because if I got to work the next day, I'm just too old for that shit, you know. I just can't do it. I just can't do it. Uh, so that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to going back to the States. And I'm going to be in Colorado, which is mountain time, which is like two hours behind East Coast. So if it's an East Coast team or game, I might even gonna be able to watch a little early. So looking forward to that. Okay, moving on. The next thing. Uh, yeah, this is something that I will miss. Uh, okay, let me just say, say it straight out. I'm going to say vino, wine, okay? Now, don't anybody attack me on this, Okay. Yes, I get it. I know I can find good wine in the States. I know I can, okay? That's not up for debate here. But the difference is between the U.S. and, and Europe is that Europe, man, everywhere I go I can get good wine, and I can get good wine at a cheap price. I don't have to break the bank for it. The difference between Europe and the U.S. is like in Europe, it's like wine is just, it's not a, it's not like a, like a, a snobby thing. It's like it's just part of everyday life. Like we drink water back home. They drink wine with their meals, and so you can get good wine at a really, really cheap price. Whereas in the States, it's probably like, ooh, wine, ooh, yeah, you drink wine, you must be a wine snob. And so because of that, it's like everybody, you know, marks up their wine, and they, they charge so much, so much for it. Um, and so I, I, so when I say that I'm going to miss 
good wine about Europe. What I really mean is I'm going to miss being able to just find it everywhere at such a cheap price. I mean, when we were in Italy, for Christ's sake, Jesus, they had this thing called Vino Sfuso, which is wonderful. You you go to all the local wineries, they go and they, they have their wines in these big tanks, and you, you go there and you, you go there like with your little plastic uh, emptied wa- uh, water bottle or an empty glass bottle if you want to use that, as the Italians do. And, you know, you just, it's literally on draft, like on tap. And you fill it up, and it's like 90 cents a liter, you know. And to put that in perspective, most wine bottles are 0.75 liters, three-quarters of a liter. And, you know, in the U.S., you're paying 15, 20 bucks for this, where I can get the same stuff for literally 90 cents a liter, you know. I mean, come on, man. You can't beat that. And it's and the quality is just as good and, and better in, in a lot of cases. So, um, I mean, I'm hoping that one decent thing about going to Colorado is it's, it's you know, it's further out west because most of the – most of the good wine in the U.S. that I've tried is, you're talking your California Cabernets, uh, some of your Pinots, um, and then also uh, Washington State and even Oregon are putting, Oregon's putting out some good Pinots in, in, in um, Washington State, the western part of the, or eastern part of the state, uh, is basically a desert, and it's, it's still pretty hilly. you got some Rocky Mountains there, and so the terroir is pretty conducive to some good red wine. And so uh, Washington State, Eastern Washington, is putting out some very, very good red wines, at least from what I've tasted. So I'm hoping that because I'll be kind of close proximity to that part of the country that I'll be able to get some good stuff. But I'm sure I'm going to pay for it, you know, whereas I could probably get the stuff for a fraction of the cost here in Europe. So so don't get mad at me. Yeah, I know I'm a wine snob, but yeah, whatever. It is it is what it is. Uh, one thing I will miss tremendously about Europe and anyone who's been in Europe, particularly here in Germany, will probably back me up on this. Donor kebabs. So for anyone who's never heard of a donor kebab, it's a Turkish thing, right? Although it was actually invented by a Turkish guy here in Germany, believe it or not, up in Berlin. Um, a donor kebab is basically, you've seen those big meats like on a spit, you know, that they sort of, it just keeps turning around and they sort of cut the meat off as it turns and stuff. That's basically what a donor kebab is. And you can get it, get it with beef you can get it with lamb you can get it with chicken just pretty much anything but pork since the, the turks are mostly muslims and they don't do pork and then they slice off the meat they put it in like a well the original kebab they put it in like a pita bread and they put some cabbage uh you can get some like some goat cheese or something like that if you want they put the i don't know i forget what you call it it's not tzatziki because tzatziki is greek uh but it's basically tzatziki it's like a yogurt sauce they put it on there and man, they are so freaking good. I mean, I for years and years and years, I was like, oh, donut kebabs are just the perfect drunk food. But I got to the point where I'm like, you know, these aren't even drunk food anymore. These are just, just eat these just the way they are, man. They're fantastic. Uh, I will say that I prefer the uh, the style of donut that I, I prefer is, there's different names. In Italy, it was called a Piadina donor. Uh, here in Germany, I want to say it's called a Durham donor. It's basically, rather than the big pita bread, I don't, like the pita bread as much anymore because the bread's way too thick and you, you all you can taste is the bread. I can't taste the the the, uh, the meat enough. Uh, but you get one. It's the Durham donut, the Piadino donut. It's basically it's made like almost with the like a tortilla kind of thing, and so the bread is like much much thinner. And so you get the really really tasty ingredients, which for me is the is is the way it should go. And they have different kinds. You can get hot sauce on it. You can get curry sauce on it. You get whatever. But man, donut kebabs. I am gonna miss those. And the reason, and I'm sure that people are like, oh, you can get a donut kebab in the states. I'm sure you can, but you don't understand. You come to Germany, man, and even expanding beyond Germany. And I was getting to Italy, France, everywhere, but especially Germany. There are so many freaking Turks here that there's like a goddamn donut kebab shop like every two feet, seemingly. Especially when you go into the cities, it's almost like it's overwhelming because you're like, well, I got to try them all just to find out what's the who makes the best one, who gives you the best meat, whatever. So, yeah, and they're cheap, too. That's the beauty of them. You get a donut kebab, it'll fill you up, and it's like less than 5 euro, which is, I don't know, maybe 4 or 5 bucks, something like that. You know, it's great. If you never heard of donut kebab, Google it. You'll see. It's fantastic. Um, but now the flip side of that, uh, something similar to a donut kebab that is huge in the States that I can't get here in Europe that I'm looking, that I'm looking forward to getting in the States are subs. Now, I know you would think subs, oh, gee, subs just a sandwich. I get it. But subs just aren't popular here in Europe, man. I mean, we do have Subway here. Don't get me wrong. We do have Subway. But I'm going to let you in a little secret. Subway sucks no matter which freaking country you're in. They're always like, oh, Subway is fresh. Eat fresh, 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 fresh. Yeah, fresh my ass. Subway freezes their meats and everything else. You can see it in there. It's not fresh. It's disgusting. 
And oh, by the way, in case anybody hasn't, you might want to Google this. This is this is a funny thing. Up in I believe it was Ireland a few years back, um, Subway got I think they were sued or something. But the whatever the you know the government organization is in Ireland that governs food or whatever says that Subway cannot call their bread bread because they use so much sugar in their bread. And I guess in order to be called bread, it has this like a certain recipe you have to follow. It has to be a certain amount of this, certain amount of that. And the the sh- amount of sugar they use in a bread exceeds whatever the minimum limit is, like by such a such a large amount that they legally could not even call their bread bread. That's how bad Subway is. So Subway sucks. So I don't count them as subs. Now in the states, my favorite is probably Jersey Mike's. You got to have Jersey Mike's. I'd never heard of it till I got to the States back in 2014. Um, for those who don't know, for, since 1998 till the present day, we've lived in the U.S. literally two years, and it was South Carolina. So I got back to South Carolina. I see this Jersey Mike's. I'd never heard of it. So I tried it, instantly hooked. One of the best subs I've ever had, and it's a chain. Um, but they sliced the meat right there, uh, fresh for you. Same with the cheese. I just love Jersey Mike's. And, but we don't have stuff like that in Europe. We don't have it. We have Subway. That's the closest thing. And like I said, Subway sucks. It, subs just aren't a thing here. I, I don't know I don't know what it is. Subs just aren't a thing. And I love subs. I'm a big sandwich guy. I think sandwiches are the perfect food. You know, they're they're great. Uh, so that's one thing that I'm looking forward to going back to the States for is that I'm, I'm, I'm going to be able to get subs everywhere, whether it's Jersey Mike's. Um, what's the other one? Max, what was the moment that we really liked in South Carolina? Oh, Firehouse, yeah, you used to get the fire. Yeah, we Firehouse is actually pretty good. I'm not really normally like a big chain guy or whatever, but those two are really, really good. Normally with subs, I like to go to like the little mom and pop places or the, like the pizza places that make subs because they, they're really good. But yeah, so anyway, two signs of the different coin. Donut kebabs, I'm going to lose, but subs, I'm going to gain. So I call that a wash. Okay, next one. Uh, yeah, this is something that I am not going to miss, and I think my kids will probably agree with me on this one. Um, and that is, and I know this seems funny cause I've been in Europe so long, but it's not speaking the local language. And now the reason I say that is, so I live, so I was most, all my overseas time has been split between three countries, basically Germany, Italy, and Korea. The majority of it was in Korea, uh, excuse me, Italy, about 15 years. And I got to where in Italy, I learned, I never took a course. I kind of wish I had, but I was always working, whatever. I just never took a course. I learned how to speak some Italian, you know, from reading my sports papers or talking with neighbors and friends and just kind of trying to pick up, you know, how they say certain things. Um, so I, I can get by in Italy. I, I can hold my own in Italy. If I'm out somewhere or whatever, I can kind of strike up a conversation and hold it, you know, hold my own. Uh, but Germany, I, I guess I, I've done, this is my third tour here. I haven't been enough. I haven't studied enough of the language. I can speak a few words and a couple of phrases, but it just kind of gets old after a while. Where everywhere you go, if somebody you know starts throwing German at you and you you don't know what they're saying, you're just like, you know, speaking English, and then it's kind of like, uh, you know, I got to go through this again. It just kind of gets old after a while, you know, where you with the language barrier. I mean, in a, it, it, for a while, it's kind of one of the things that kind of makes it an adventure and exciting, and it's like, oh, I get to you know try to learn a different language and different words but you know after after 20 plus years here after a while it's like you know I, it's just going to be nice to go somewhere where i can just communicate in my native language and not have to worry about you know coming up with whatever the language i'm of the person i'm speaking to or whatever um you know so i I'm, I'm really looking forward to just being able to go somewhere and just strike up a conversation and not have to worry about asking somebody if they speak my language Okay, so next on the list, one thing that I absolutely will not miss at all is the freaking trash Nazis. Now, the, this, these guys are the worst in Germany. I mean, that's probably worse in Germany than just about everywhere I've been. It was somewhat bad in Italy, but nowhere near as bad as here, as here in Germany. Um, Germany is crazy. I mean, Europe in general, but I'm going to speak to Germany because this is the more recent one. But in general, uh, Germany is just they're so psycho about recycling and the trash and how you separate it and everything else. And so, you know, we moved in, it's like, you got to have like three or four different trash cans. You put this and that, this and that, this and that, whatever. And man, so Virginia usually, Virginia is good at keeping everything straight. And, but she, when she went away back in November uh, to the Philippines for a couple of weeks, when we were doing the beach house sale, um, you know, Luca had to take all the trash out. So we separated it the way I thought we were doing it. I, maybe Virginia fixed it. I don't know. 
but Luca would take it down to the to the to the garage area where the trash cans are. And oh my God, one day I get this email from or this text message from my landlord Andreas, who we get along with very well with. Great people. Uh, but man, he was pissed. I guess the I guess the neighbors because we got downstairs neighbors. We're on a top floor, and we got neighbors below us on the. We got two neighbors, one below us and one below him. Uh, I guess they must have complained or something, and they were like, "Oh, people, you know, they're putting the wrong trash in the wrong can." And, and man, he was—I mean, he was really, really angry. He's—he's he's like, "Oh, I, I need to come over and, and and teach you how to do this and stuff." And I was like, "I was like, Andreas, I'm I'm really, really sorry. I I thought we were doing it right. I had no idea. I I don't know what." And he says, sends me these freaking papers showing, you know, oh, this goes in this here, and this goes in this type, and this. It's just crazy, man. And they're so freaking, they're so freaking, they're like Nazis about it. I mean, I don't mean to offend anybody, but it's like, my goodness. It's like, okay, I, we're trying our best to recycle, but, it, you know, you can't know every little goddamn piece of trash. What, you know, it's like, okay, well, what about this? Where does this go? Oh, well, this goes in here. Well, how am I supposed to know that? You know, I mean, you don't know. There's like a million freaking different categories of types of trash, you know, not everything falls into like, oh, plastic or metal or paper or this and that, okay? Like styrofoam. Well, where the hell does styrofoam go? I didn't know. Is it paper? Is it plastic? Is it, I don't know what it's considered. So, yeah, he had to come over and we had to go through the whole thing and so we got it straight and uh, I think we're okay now, but who knows? I could get in trouble again. So, I don't know. I just, uh, I'm just, it's just so much easier in the U.S. where it's like if you make a little mistake, you're not going to get yelled at for it, you know? Oh, you put, you put this in in metal when it's supposed to be in aluminum or whatever the hell. Anyway, uh, so along the same line as the trash Nazis, uh, I'm also going to say the car Nazis. Now, what I mean by this is anyone who's been in Germany should notice. So they have this rule or this law or whatever in Germany where you can't keep your if you like when you got your car started or whatever and you're driving and you know like sometimes you, oh you're going to stop here for a minute and I'm going to run out and I'm going to I don't know drop off this movie or something like that. Well. You're not allowed to leave your car running for like more than, I don't know, I don't know what the law is. It's like 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes or something like that, right? Which, okay, fine, whatever. Sounds good, you know, because you got to cut down on emissions. I get it, right? But you know when it sucks? It sucks like right now in the winter. Like we just had a huge winter storm the other day, right? I had to go upstairs. I had to clean off my car. My, it was completely iced over and snowed over, right? So what do we do in the States, right? You start your car and you turn the heat on so you can warm it up and you get the defroster going and stuff. Nope, can't do that in Germany because you're not allowed to keep your car running. So you got to sit there with a freezing cold car and you got to scrape your windshield, you know, and you, you know, whereas I could just put the defroster on and let it melt the ice to the point where I could just get it off easy. But no, no, can't do that. Can't do that in Germany. So you got to sit there with a completely, with the car turned off, completely cold, and you got to scrape and scrape and scrape and scrape. And you got to do all that. And it just drives me nuts, you know? And no, so I have to park. I have street parking. I don't have private parking. So I go, I park up in the street. And sometimes, like, if I have to brush off my car or something, I, I'll just, it's in the morning, I'll, I'll turn on my car. Or sometimes I got to wait for the, uh, for Virginia and Xavier, or whatever, to come upstairs because I'm bringing them to work. So I go up early. Uh, cause they always take forever and I, I'll sit there and I'll start the car and then I'll pull it across and I'll wait for them. Right. And then I'll, some, you know, some German couple or person will be walking by walking their dog and they always give me dirty looks. So I got to turn the car off, you know, and it's like, all right, fine. You know, it's like, oh, it's like, you know, 10 degrees below zero here, but I, no, I can't turn my heat on because I can't sit here with my car running. Uh, it just drives me nuts. So anyway, it's enough about that. <clears throat> Let's see what's next on my list. Fishing, yes, this is something that I am not going to miss about Europe. So um, I, I will say that when I was in Italy, for those who don't know me, I'm a huge fly fisherman. I mean, it's probably my favorite hobby, passion. is my biggest passion I have is fly fishing. I love it. Grew up doing it. Love it. Um, when I was in Italy, I had an Italian friend, Fausto, who helped me get my uh, Italian fishing license and then took me up to this Brent, the Brenta River up, up uh, north of Bassano in the mountains. Um, and you know, taught me how to get the how to navigate all the bureaucracy in the Italian system, and I loved it, man. It was God, some of the best times of my life. Um, but fishing in Europe is hard; it's very, very hard. In the states, you know, you know what you got to do to go fishing in the states. You go down, oh, you know, you're this old, okay, you need a license. You go down to local Walmart or your whatever store, uh, and you get a fishing license. Then you go fishing. That's it. In Europe, oh no, no, no. So here in Germany. If you want to go, if you want to get a fishing license, you have to take a class. It's like a week long. I, I can't even imagine what they would teach you in this class, right? 
and you then you have to pass a test after this class to get your fishing license and then they have all these crazy rules and it's like every little stretch of every little river or pond or whatever has different regulations that cover it and it gets to be a pain in the ass because if you don't speak the language you don't know you don't know who to talk to to find out well what's the regulation that covers this stretch so it's just not even worth it because then if you get if you're fishing a stretch and you're doing something wrong that you don't know game warden comes or fishing game person comes and gets you boom then you got a fine or you get this you get that and you're like well i didn't know but that ain't gonna fly you know it doesn't matter that you're american and then the germans like for instance the germans the animal rights people have kind of like taken over the country the past several years and so like in germany there is no such thing as catch and release you're required to carry some little it's almost like a like a little blackjack kind of thing with you when you fish right and if you catch a fish you can't throw it back because that would just be way too traumatic for the fish. You know, the, I mean, a fish gets caught, comes out of water, and then you let him go? No way. It's way too traumatic for the fish. So instead, you have to kill it. You literally have to kill it, put it out of its misery. So you have to carry this, like, little blackjack thing with you, and you get up, like, bonk it on the head a couple times so you kill it. It's crazy. So I am not, I, I, I do not miss, I mean, I, I'm not going to miss being trying to fish in Europe. It's a pain in the ass. In the States... I'm going to teach my, uh, Luca's looking forward to learning how to fly fish. I can't wait. I'm going to fly fish the great, the great wet, the great Pacific Northwest, Montana, Wyoming. I'm going to teach Luca. I'm going to get him his license and I'm going to teach him. And he's not going to have to worry about any of these stupid rules and regulations because it's just get your license, go out fish. So, uh, something we will miss about Europe are the Kinder Eggs. And I think Max would back me up on that. Right, Max? Absolutely. So for those who aren't familiar with Kinder Eggs, um, I know they've, they've gotten popular in the States uh, over the past several years, but the Kinder Eggs in the States are not the same as the Kinder Eggs you get overseas. <clears throat> Excuse me. Kinder Eggs were founded, they, it's an Italian company, believe it or not. It was originally called Kinder Sorpresa, Sorpresa being surprise. Um, and then it got popular in Germany where they were called Kinder Eggs. Kinder means kids, obviously, ch uh, child. Uh, and they're little, basically little chocolate eggs. For those who never heard of them, and you break open a chocolate egg and you eat it, and then there's like a little yellow, I don't know what you call it, like a pod kind of thing, and you open, you plastic pod, you pop that open, and it's got like a little toy in it that you normally you put together. And for years and years, I first discovered these when I first came to Germany back in 98. My, my buddy Stevo, um, he was living with a girl in America, and they had a house in Teleichweiler Froschen. And she was, they were big uh, collectors of the toys because there was a lot of people that collect them, and some of them are actually worth money. And they had, like, this whole display in the house set up with the Kinder Egg toys. And so I kind of got addicted to them pretty good. And they're cool for the kids. They love them. But typical U.S. fashion, they're actually outlawed in the U.S. Because I think somebody explained it to me. It goes back to, like, somewhere in, like, the 1900s or early to mid-1900s. There's some food law that says that there's something about uh, <clears throat> you can't sell food that has a non-food product embedded in it or something like that. And so they can they consider Kinder Eggs as falling under that provision. They're like, oh, because it's it's a chocolate egg that's completely you know covered and sealed, but then it's got a non you know it's got like a plastic toy in the middle. Like, oh, so that's illegal. So, oh, either that or it's the whole oh, it's a choking hazard. You know, the U.S. they love to make all these rules protecting us from ourselves. So the, regardless, the funny thing is, you can get actual Kinder Eggs with the toys in the states. It just cracks me up. It just cracks me up. But anyway. Uh, so this next one is one that I actually both will miss and won't miss. Uh, and it's kind of, kind of work related, kind of personal personality related. You know, when you live overseas, when you work for the government, whether you're in the military or you're like a government civilian, like I am, you, you work with a lot of people who are just like you. You work with military green suitors, we call them uh, active duty. You work with civilians, you work with contractors. Now the, most of the people overseas, there's a limit on how long you can stay overseas. Like military, it's usually like a three or four year tour. Then you you rotate out to a new base, whatever. For the civilians, we have what's called the five year rule. Supposed to leave. Now, in a way, that's really great because, you know, it means basically means like if you work with an asshole or someone you don't like, as long as you're you know just wait and pretty soon one of you are going to PCS and you don't have to deal with that person anymore. You know, whereas in the states. You know, if you're like a civilian, you're civilians, you never have to leave. You stay there your whole your whole career. But so I won't. I, I mean, I, I I definitely will miss that part of it. But the part I won't miss is that it goes the other way as well. I mean, you you know, you you're living overseas, and you're on a base, and you work with these other Americans, whether they're military or civilians, and you know, you make friends, you, you, people you work with, whatever. 
And then it sucks because at some point one of you PCSs and then it's like shit. It's just like when you're in the military. Um, and then, you know, if they're good friends, you keep in touch. But still, it's not like it's not like non-military people in the States where you're going to stay there your whole life and you're going to make friends and you're going to be able to hang out with them. You know, it sucks. It's just one of those things you kind of get used to, but it just really sucks. You make some really, really good close friends and then boom, they PCS and now they're on the other side of the world, the other side of the country. So... So, yeah, that's definitely a, a miss and won't miss. Um, <clears throat> next, oh, definitely Celsius, yeah. So, I, I don't, I've been overseas so long, there's some things I have adjusted to, and, like, one of them is, like, the metric system. So, I, I, I've learned it, uh, I've learned it, you know, how to deal with, like, grams, kilograms. I learned how to deal with, uh, you know, instead of miles, dealing with kilometers and all that stuff. But I just, I still have not completely grasped the the concept of celsius versus fahrenheit i think somebody years ago told me it's like oh yeah well celsius to convert it just like double it and add 30 or something like that i think but it never works out and i still look at celsius and i celsius and i still have to switch it to fahrenheit i just can't do it but everything everything overseas is celsius and then it just doesn't mean anything to me i need fahrenheit i i, I that's non-negotiable for me i need fahrenheit i can't deal with celsius uh, another thing that I will not miss about Europe in general, and especially here in Germany, is the freaking goddamn VAT. So for those of you who've been over here, you know what the VAT is. It stands for Value Added Tax, and it basically it's all over Europe. They put a standard value added tax on everything you buy, and it's like it's like twenty twenty one percent. I think it might even be more in other other countries. And it's everything, everything you buy. I mean, in the States, it's like, oh, you got a sales tax. It's like 5%, 10%. We complain about that, right? Imagine paying twice that. It's crazy. It's just nuts. Now, we have the VAT forms. You have something over here called the VAT forms, right? But even those are a pain in the ass. I mean, it's great because the way it works is you got, so here in Germany, every country is different. So in Germany, we have an office on base. You will get a VAT form, right? You pay $10 for the VAT form, right? And then you carry this VAT form with you. And then let's say I go into, you know, let's say Virginia and I go into a store, right? Um, and we end up spending like $100, right? Or excuse me, 100 euros, right? Well, we can ask them, do you take the VAT form? And, and usually the, the places and where the, the stores in cities where there, where there are bases nearby, a lot of them will take the VAT form, right? Um, they just learn how to do it. And so you say, do you take the VAT form? They'll say, yeah. And then so, but then it's like, it's such a long, convoluted, pain in the ass process in a lot of these places. Because basically what you got to do is you got to give them the VAT form, right? And then they have to do, they have to fill out this form with everything and did a receipt and da, 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 da. And it's like, it's almost not worth it because some of them will do it right there at the register. And then they got to do it with these forms and you got people backing up behind you, you know, getting pissed at you in German and stuff. Uh, I, I hate using that VAT form. You have to if you're buying, you know, spend a lot of money because you, you're saving like 20%. But, man, in some cases, it's just not worth it. So I'm, I will not miss the VAT. I will not miss that shit at all. Uh, one thing I will miss, tepid water. I cannot stand, and Virginia's with me on this. When we did our two years in South Carolina, I'm a big water drinker. I drink water all day, and a lot of times when I'm out somewhere, I go to the gas station or whatever, I grab a bottle of water because I got to have a bottle of water with me all the time. Hey, got to stay hydrated, right? Learn that in the Army. Got to stay hydrated. But you go to the States, man, you go to a gas station, you're like, I want some water, right? Well, you, they keep everything in a cooler, and you get it, and it's like it's like just like one degree below freezing. I can't drink water that that's cold. That that's that cold. It hurts my teeth for one thing. I mean, literally hurts my teeth. I take a sip. I'm like, ah, my teeth hurt. And then it upsets your stomach when you're drinking water that cold. Virginia even tells me the same thing. It's not healthy to drink water that that that's that cold. Give me water that's room at room temperature. That's what I want. I want water that's at room temperature. I hate going into some place and I want a bottle of water, but no, I gotta get it. And it's like. It's like 33 degrees, you know, like one degrees above freezing. No way. I cannot drink that. It just drives me nuts. And that's, it seems like everywhere you go in the U.S., it's all you get. Everybody wants their water, like freaking ice cold. Look, if I'm in the summertime and it's like 100 degrees, fine. Give me some really cold water. Otherwise, give me tepid water. Give me room temperature, man. Anyway, I digress. Uh, one thing I will not miss about Europe, and those of you who have been here, stationed here, whatever, uh, you will probably agree with me on this. Paying for condiments, such as, you know, ketchup or mustard or whatever. 
Yeah, they you, they make you pay for that shit over here. Seriously, you go into McDonald's, they may give you like one or two ketchups with your meal, right? But if you're if you're getting like a large fry or you want more, I mean, literally one packet of ketchup, two packets of ketchup, give me a break. You need more than that. You're like, I'd like an extra packet of ketchup. Oh, you got to pay fifty cents for that. Seriously, it's a thing over here. I don't get it. It's the same in Korea. When we were in Korea, like even the so the fast food places on base were owned by Koreans, right? And you like Popeyes is a big one on base, right? So Xavier got addicted to Popeyes, and so he would he got um, uh, what's the stuff they have at Popeyes? Uh, blackened ranch sauce. He he got addicted to that for a while, right? But they never gave him enough. They he'd get like a sandwich he wanted to put it on. They give him like one thing. So he'd ask for a second one, and they would give him a hard time about it. I mean, literally, it's like, and I did it one time. I'm like, hey, can I get, you know, one extra black and ranch? The guy literally, like, gave me a dirty look. So I guess they pay for that stuff, and it's like they account for every little penny. So, yeah, here in Europe, they make you pay, like, 50 cents a packet for mayonnaise or ketchup. It's crazy. Not like in the States where you can just go get as much ketchup as you want. So, <clears throat> moving on. Um, one thing I will not, well, I I won't miss this, but <clears throat> I will admit that it does have its its charm somewhat. And that's uh, really small grocery stores. Now, in Europe, you don't really have these, like, mega grocery stores like we have in the States, like the Kroger's and the, uh, what's the Publix down south? Um, what are some of the other ones? Back home, they got Hannaford, Market Basket, stuff like that. They don't, they just don't have grocery stores like that here. They're really small. And most, most grocery stores are, mm, like, the size of, like, a, almost like a like a 7-Eleven. A little bit bigger than that, but, you know. Maybe twice the size of a 7-Eleven, let's put it that way. And you just don't have the selection that you have, you know. I mean, the quality is better, but you don't have the quantity and you don't have the selection. And in a way, I kind of like it because it's, you know, it's smaller. You got better quality stuff and I don't have to spend all day. I can just kind of run in and grab what I want. But, man, I love those mega grocery stores because I'm a big foodie and I love food. Um, and like I go TDY to uh, Scott Air Force Base just uh, in uh, right outside of St. Louis. It's in Illinois. And uh, right where I always stay at the Drury Inn across the street, there's a, there's this huge, there's a, like a little market, uh, like a plot, shopping plaza. And they have this huge grocery store called Deerberg's. And uh, man, it's like the first place I go. They have everything in there. These American grocery stores, they got like, I mean, they make sushi fresh there. They got like these China or, you know, Asian, Asians and they're making sushi fresh for you. They got the deli where you can get all kinds of stuff. They got hot foods. They got prepared foods. They got... You know, anything you want. They got like, you know, 50 different choices of whatever. It's great, man. Sometimes I go in there and I'm so excited and I walk out and I'm like, shit, I only bought like two things. But it's like, it's just being in there, man. It's just being in there. We don't have stuff like that in Europe, you know. So, sue me. I love just, just walking through and just seeing everything. Man, miss those. God, I really can't wait till we get back to the States and see what kind of groceries. The huge grocery stores await me in Colorado Springs. Uh, farmer's Market. This is something that I'm really going to miss about Europe. Uh, I don't recall. I'm sure they probably have them in certain places in the states, but I've never seen anything like like the ones that they have that like they have here in Europe. Uh, it's great. It's usually like every Saturday morning here in Wiesbaden. It's every Saturday morning is a big one, and then they do it again on Wednesday morning. But Saturday morning is the big one. They have a big like marketplace uh, downtown, and all of the local people will just come in and you know from the local farms and they'll, they'll sell their stuff, and you get some of the freshest, most beautiful produce you've ever seen. You can sometimes negotiate with the price a little bit, but we don't bother. But everything you need is right there, and man, I it just uh, I remember when we when we moved to South Carolina, we were thinking, oh, we're like right in the middle of farm country here, and uh, and then they, one day they said, oh, there's going to be a farmers market downtown, so we went there, and it was like there was the thing was tiny. I mean, it was tiny. It was this little this little like empty lot between some you know old falling down buildings. And it was only like two small stands that had a little bit of vegetables. And then there was like one stand that was like selling some local honey. There was like one stand that was selling, oh, there's a guy doing caricatures. It's like, this is not a farmer's market. This is, I don't know what this is. But yeah, in Europe, it's a big deal. And anyone who's been down, I mean, Vicenza, they, everybody knows the big, the big markets downtown of Vicenza. They have everything. It's not just produce. I mean, produce is maybe the best thing, but they always have fresh meats. There's a bunch of butcher stands. There's always like a, a one or two fresh fish stands. They have ones that have prepared foods like rotisserie chicken. I mean, anything you can imagine, and it's great. And I, man, I, I just, I just love them. I just love them. Every Saturday we'll walk down, we'll just walk around, see what's going on, we'll buy some stuff, and especially for someone like me who's kind of gotten into cooking as a hobby, 
the past few years. I love going down and seeing what you know what's fresh and just kind of seeing something and say, oh, I can make something with that and take it home. Just didn't really have that in the U.S., at least not anywhere I've seen. Um, yes, the next one is possibly, oh my goodness gracious, I'm surprised this wasn't at the top of the list. So this is one thing I will not miss about Europe, and anyone who's been here knows this. Bureaucracy. Oh my God, Europe is terrible at this. Germany is terrible. Italy is terrible. France is terrible. Everywhere I've been, there is so much bureaucracy trying to get anything done. We think we got it bad in the States. You don't know how good you got it till you come here to Europe, man. I'm telling you, the bureaucracy here is just on another level. And then you add the the added uh, level of difficulty that we don't speak the language. You know, it's not our native language, and that just makes it even harder. Now, we're kind of lucky that a lot of the bureaucracy we can kind of bypass because we get offices on base that help us and stuff, and that, you know, we don't have to deal with that. But, man, you still got to deal with it because you're going to live on the economy. You still got to deal with the locals, and the bureaucracy is horrible here. It is one of the worst parts of being in Europe. It's horrible. On the flip side, and this is one thing that I will miss about Europe, is uh, having so many different cultures just close by. I mean, Europe, you've seen Europe. I mean, it's like, you look at the United States, and you're like, oh, there's 50 different states. And then you look at, you know, and it's like every state is still, everybody speaks English, and you know, but the different states have different customs and this, this, and that. That's the way Europe is, with, but only with countries. Let's imagine if you had, like, every state in the United States, like, spoke a different language or had a different completely culture, which I guess in some places they do like the South. But I digress. Um... But yeah, they, in Europe, it's like, okay, I mean, oh, I'm in Belgium and they, they're speaking this language and then now I can drive, you know, 20 minutes and I'm in Germany and they're speaking German and then I can drive however long and I'm in Luxembourg and they're speaking French or whatever. And you just have so many cultures all in, you know, you obviously Europe's not that big and so the people that move around a lot and whatever. And so you, you just, you have such a great opportunity to just get to meet so many people from so many different cultures and countries and you learn, you know, different foods and this, this and that and it's just kind of cool. I just really, really enjoy it, you know, because I'm all about learning new, new shit and, and whatnot. So that's one of the things I'm definitely going to miss. Um, <clears throat> one of the things, I, I put this as something that I'm, I'm not going to miss, uh, but I will explain further because it's not really as simple as this. And that's uh, shopping on Sundays. Uh, in Germany, here in Germany, uh, and this is most of Europe, I think, but here in Germany especially, stores are closed on Sundays. Restaurants and bars will be open, but... Uh, your department stores, your grocery stores, anything pretty much shopping closes on Sundays. Now, in a way, I really, really like that. I think it's cool, you know, and it kind of preserving the whole, hey, Sunday's the, you know, the day to rest and, and this is not spend time with your family. And, you know, whereas in the States, we're all like, oh, no, we got to stay open as many hours as we can and you got to work 150 hours a week and da, 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 you know, and I think it's kind of cool. But I, I will say, man, the, Sometimes you just need to buy something on a Sunday and you can't do it. And it's a pain in the ass, you know. Uh, it's not as bad for us over here, those of us who are here, like with the government or the military, because on base we have the PX and we have the shop at that's open, you know, mostly seven days a week. So they're always open on Sundays. So if I need something, fine, I can just run to the base and I can grab it. But there's certain things that they don't sell that I might need in the economy and I can't do it. And it's, yeah. You know, whatever. Because, I mean, think about it. It's like Monday through Friday you work. You don't want to go out shopping. So Saturdays and Sundays are your days off. And those are the days you want to go run your errands like shopping and stuff. But in Germany, you can only do your errands pretty much on Saturday. So, anyway. So, goes both ways. Uh, another thing I will definitely miss about Germany are the castles. Um, an interesting stat I, I read recently was that there are more castles in Germany than there are McDonald's locations in the United States. And by a long shot, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah Google it if you don't believe me. I had to look it up, and I was shocked. Uh, there are so many freaking castles in Germany. There's, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of them that are, like, big and famous and everything. And it's just something you don't really see in a lot of places. You know, you grow up, you hear about the fairy tales and everything else. It's just kind of cool to be able to drive, like, an hour and go look at a castle or castle ruins or stuff like that. I mean, these, these things have been, you know, they've existed, even though a lot of them are broken down or bombed out or whatever. It's really cool to see it because it's like seeing a piece of history that you grew up hearing about. So castles are something you don't really see in a whole lot of other countries outside of Europe. So uh, One thing in Germany, this isn't really a European thing. Well, I guess a lot of countries in Europe it is, but it, particularly in Germany I've noticed. Freaking French fries with everything. 
you go, you eat at a restaurant, you order some food or whatever. It's like, oh, we, we, we're going to make this. Well, we got we need a side dish. Oh, just make some French fries. It's like they're just taking the easy way out. It's like, yeah, okay, I'm getting a bratwurst. You know, maybe I want like some vegetables with it or something. No, no, I've got to have French fries. That's all you can get. Freaking French fries with everything, man. It's like, it's like every single freaking meal in this country is the side dish is French fries. It's just too much, man. One thing I will definitely will miss about Europe, or about Europe, really Europe, but especially in Germany, but we had them in Italy too. Uh, they're called Walladens. I really don't know how to describe them to people who haven't been, who haven't seen it, but it's kind of like, <clears throat> they're like these, uh, how do you describe a Walladen? Ah, boy, this is a tough one. They're, they're basically like window coverings, right? But they like roll up. They roll up and roll down. That's why they're called Roladens, obviously. So you got like a little strap. You pull it and like the Roladen goes up. And then you kind of pull it out and up. And then it kind of comes down. Um, but they're great because it's like instant blocking out of every bit of light. Just to put the Roladen down. No problem. You don't got to worry about curtains or this. It's like all or nothing. I want it dark. I put the Roladen down. I want it light. I put the Roladen up. I, I, I like. I just like it. I like the. I like the way they're they're set up. They're really cool. If you haven't been in Europe, you haven't seen these things. But if you've been here, you've seen them. You probably agree. I, I, Roladens are great. I love them. Um, okay, we're getting near the end of the list here. So next, uh, I I wrote paying bills online rather than up front, um, and not just online. I guess online is a really a bad way to put it. So Germany has this thing. It's a real pain in the ass. Like, we'll go to the doctor, right? We'll go to the German doctor because we can't be seen on base because I'm a civilian and I'm a second-class citizen over here to the American government. Um, we'll go, so I go to, like, the German doctor on base, right? So, like, recently I had Max had to get a sports physical. So I go to the doctor, you know, the doctor sees him, like, literally less than five minutes, signs his form. It's like, okay, so it's going to cost me 55 euro, right? I can't just go to the to the front desk and pay my 55 euro or whatever it happens to be, right? They, they they take my information, right? And then, like, maybe a week or two later, I'm going to get this bill in the mail for the for the amount. And then it's got what they call an IBAN number. Uh, they use these things in Europe uh, called IBAN. I think it stands for International Bank Account Number or something like that. It's basically the number that you use to transfer money between accounts in Europe. And so it'll have an IBAN number on it. So now I have two choices. I can... If I have a German bank, I can go online to my German bank and I can pay it online and put in the IBAN number and transfer the, the thing. Or you can go to like the community bank on base, which functions as a German bank, and you can fill out all these freaking, you know, papers with all these different numbers and everything else and to, to tran and it'll transfer the money into their account. It's like, why can't I just give you my freaking card and just pay for it right here? I mean, seriously, what? It's so stupid. It's like... You know, you hear all the year. I've been here for years. Well, the German efficiency. Germans, Germany's is such an efficient country. Not with this kind of stuff. They're not. This is ridiculous. I, I mean, I I can't just pay a bill right there. It's stupid. Idiotic. Um, what's next on the list? Lack of food diversity. Europe in general is pretty homogenous when it comes to food. Um, I, I grew up in the U.S. And, you know, the U.S. is, they call it the melting pot. The U.S. was, was basically built by immigrants. It's, you got so many different people from so many different cultures. And so you got so much diversity with everything. And not, I mean, not the least of which is the food. You come to Europe and they're a little more homogenous. It's like, so it's like you, you go to Italy. It's, it's changing now. It's, you know, there's more immigrants are coming. And so it's changed a lot over the past, I don't know, 10 years or so. But for the most part, it still hasn't gotten nowhere near where the U.S. is. It's like, so like, you go to Italy. It's like, yeah, okay, if you're in the bigger cities, you know, you, you might find an Indian restaurant. Um, you might find, a, I don't know, a Greek restaurant. You find a Chinese restaurant, which is terrible. But for the most part, probably 90% of the restaurants are, you know, Italian, which obviously in Italy isn't a bad thing. But sometimes you do want a little, you know, you grew up in the U.S., you want some ethnic food. You, you want something else. Uh, you go, the funny thing is, is when you go outside of Italy, most places in Europe, most of your ethnic quote unquote ethnic restaurants are Italian. Um, cause Italy is just known as, you know, the Italian food is, is something that everybody can do is something everybody knows, pizza, pasta, you know, so these Italians, especially the ones from the South of Italy, they don't make a lot of money down there. It's very agrarian society, but they can cook their asses off. So they just go outside. They go like to Northern Italy. They go like to Germany where the money is, France, places like that. They open Italian restaurants because, you know, they're just dying for good food up there. You know, Germany is not really known for their, you know, ethnic foods or their diversity in food. So um, 
Now, when we were in Heidelberg for a couple of years, Germany, there was quite, that's a very, very touristy city. And so there was quite a bit of diversity. We had a lot of really good ethnic restaurants and stuff like that. Here in Wiesbaden, uh, it's dismal. It is abysmal. We, I mean, 90% of the ethnic restaurants here are Turkish, you know. Um, you got Frankfurt nearby, and Frankfurt's a huge international city, so Frankfurt has very good diverse selection. But for the most part, Germany in general is just not diverse, and Europe in general really just isn't diverse. And even when you do find diversity in food, like some ethnic restaurants, they they sort of tailor their food to the local tastes, and so it's almost like so that's like if you eat at an Italian restaurant here in Germany, it just doesn't taste anything like you get in Italy. It just tastes horrible. Because it's like they're tailoring their food to match the German taste, you know, which are a little bit muted. It's just horrible. So, yeah, it, I'm not going to miss the lack of food diversity here. I'm hoping I'm hoping that wherever we go in the States, in Colorado, obviously, that there's going to be more of it. So, yeah, this is a big one, this next one. This is um, my friend Adam's wife, Cheryl, will definitely agree with this one. They recently got here, and this was killing her. Uh, European washers and dryers. I will not miss this at all. If you've ever seen a European-style washer and dryer, my God, <laughs> like one load of laundry is like a couple pairs of pants and a shirt. I mean, they're so small. It's all this this whole energy-efficient and water-efficient thing. It just takes forever to do a freaking load because it's like you can't hardly, I mean, a, a European load washer washer is like, like a quarter the size of, the, of what we use in the U.S. You know, like we're used to washing you know, so many clothes in one load, but no, like one American load would be like four loads here in Europe. It's crazy. And then the dryers take forever. I mean, you get, you, even just a regular, a small European load, you gotta, you literally have to run the dryer twice just to get your dry everything, you know, and sometimes three times just to get everything dry. In the warmer, in the warmer uh, months, Virginia was, was like, screw it. I'll just hang the clothes up outside. Just let them dry. <laughs> Jeez, it's horrible. European washer dryers are the worst. Yeah, okay, they're energy efficient. Okay, but they suck for washing and drying clothes. Um, next one, this is this is horrible here in, in Germany, worse in Europe than that. Well, Switzerland's bad too, but Germany, I think, is the worst I've seen. Freaking traffic cameras, like speed cameras. So here's what the, you know, obviously everybody knows about these things. It's like, oh, you do a, cam you know, they put a camera here. If you're doing above the speed limit or whatever, they, they you know, it takes your picture, you're screwed. But what they do in Germany, they take it to the next freaking level, right? So the, the rule in Germany, the law is that, once you enter the town limit, right, the speed limit automatically drops to like 50, 50 kilometers an hour. And they, you know when you're hitting the town limit because there's usually like a big yellow sign that says the name of the town, right, or name of the city. So that tells you, okay, you're in the city limits, right? So what does Germany do? These freaking idiots, or these jerks, what they do is they put the traffic camera literally like right where, like right, like a, like a foot behind, or it's Europe, so a meter behind the like where the, the the town limit sign is right so you're coming up and you don't realize you're hitting this, the town limit and all of a sudden you see the sign and it's like shit i better slam on my brakes and get down to 50 which nobody does so as soon as you hit that town limit sign boom technically you're in the 50 kilometer an hour zone and there's a camera right there boom so you know when you live in a place like it, i got hit like two two or three times when i first got to wiesbaden before i learned where the traffic cameras are once you learn the cameras, that's fine. But if you go into a new city, you're going to get nailed almost every time. And it sucks. Freaking Germans, man. Anyway, don't get me started on that. Um, okay, so <clears throat> next one is a big one. This is all over Europe. Um, probably elsewhere in the, in the world, too. Um, I know Korea was, but didn't affect us. Uh, Transformers. So Transformers, this is not those robot things that we watched in the 80s and we were a kid. Transformers, more. No, these are Transformers are. So the power in the U.S. is 110. The power in Europe is 220. So if you have a U.S. like an appliance, like a hair dryer or whatever, and then you just plug it into like a European plug, which you can't do without an adapter because the plug, the outlets are different. But if you say, oh, I'll just get an adapter and plug it in, it's going to blow up. It'll blow the power thing because 220 obviously is, you know, I, I, I'm not great at math, but 220 is a lot bigger than 110. And so it'll blow up. And so you got to buy these things called transformers that basically you plug them into the wall and then you plug your outlet or your appliance into the transformer and it converts the power from 220 to 110 so you can use your American appliances. Um, but these transformers are like these big metal bulky things and they're expensive as hell. Um, and, you know, they're different uh, voltages and so it depends and, you know, everything. So like if you're running something small like a hairdryer, you might only need like maybe a, I don't know, a 500 or a 1000 watt transformer. But like my air fryer, 
I need a, I have to use, it's like 1700 volts that one. So I need a 2000 or watt, I'm sorry. It's 1700 watts. So I need a 2000 watt transformer just to be able to run my air fryer. And of course, as you can imagine, they suck down the freaking electricity, which, you know, with the prices of electricity being sky high because of the freaking rushes right now, uh, it's not, it's not real smart to use them a lot. Same with my, uh, I have a treadmill upstairs. Well, that's a big thing. So I got to use a 2000 watt one for that as well. And you have to, otherwise it's going to blow the power supply in them. Um, and so, yeah, I am not going to miss that because those transformers are expensive. I mean, like a 2,000-watt transformer. I mean, it, here's what you do. You buy them used. People here, they leave, you know, oh, I'm, I'm moving to the U.S. I'm selling my transformers so you can get one for cheap. But if you were just to go to the store and buy like a 2,000-watt transformer, for instance, it would be several hundred dollars, literally. I mean, maybe maybe three or $400 for a 2,000-watt. I don't know. You need a 1,500 watts, probably still like like around 200 bucks. Um, so yeah, I, I will not miss transformers. I, I hate them. I just can't stand them. Um, uh, the last one on my list, and I'm thinking, I'm sure I'm going to come up with more, but this is the last one I can think is uh, this is something I actually am going to miss about Europe. So Europe, there are pockets of Europe that are, I guess. Not politically so much, because Europe's pretty liberal politically, but socially pretty conservative, pretty laid back, especially compared to the U.S. Um, but uh, there's something that they don't have in Europe that we have in the U.S., and that's the freaking Bible Belt. Um, and I, man, when we, those two years in the past, since 1998, two years we lived in the U.S., we lived in South Carolina, like right smack dab in the middle of the Bible Belt. And it drove me nuts, because sometimes it was like living back in 1950s. Look, I don't care what your religion, your beliefs are. Everybody's got something they believe in, whatever. To each of them, I, I'm a big live and let live guy. You believe what you want to believe. Just don't try to force it on me. And don't try to force your morality on me, okay? Um, and that goes for whatever religion. I don't care if it's Christianity, Islam, whatever. You do what you want to do. But you don't have the right to tell me that I have to or try to force me to you know, adhere to your beliefs or whatever. It's just a big deal with me. And like in Sumter, we got there, and they're still living in the 1950s. And Sumter, you still you can't buy alcohol on Sundays there. Like it's Sunday afternoon, I can't just go out and just like get a beer at the grocery store, and that just boggles my mind. And the only reason for that is because there's these Bible thumpers that think, oh well, you know, this Sunday's the Lord's day, and you you know you shouldn't drink. Well, it's like, well, what if you don't? What if you're a Muslim and you don't believe that? Or well, maybe that's a bad example. What if you're just not religious? The why should I adhere to what you call the Lord's law and not drink on Sunday? You know what I'm saying? And that goes for everything. And so I, they don't have laws like that in Europe. And I, I kind of like that. They're very live and let live. And I, and I really like that. Um, so anyway, that's just something that I, I, I don't think I'm going to have to worry about it going to Colorado, obviously. But if, you know, something happens and I end up back in the Bible Belt in the States, I'm sure I'm going to struggle with that again. I don't care. Again, you believe what you want to believe. I don't care. Just don't force it on me. Don't try to force me to live what you believe, okay? To each his own. Live and let live. So uh, with that, I will say that concludes this, uh, what I'm going to call part one of what I will and will not miss in Europe. Uh, I'm calling it part one because I'm sure I'm going to come up with a lot more in the future as, as we go along and as we get closer. And as I mentioned at the outset, um, I'm hoping I can get the kids to do one too. I think that would be kind of fun, kind of interesting to hear. Uh, I hope I didn't offend anybody. I'm sure I probably did. You know, that's what I do best. Um, but I want to thank you all for listening. And, you know, by all means, if you guys got stuff that you, I know there's tons of my listeners, I've met you overseas. And so you guys have been overseas. If there's anything that anybody wants to weigh in on stuff you that you miss or that stuff that you don't miss or whatever, feel free to email me. You know, if you got me on Facebook, send me a message. If not, whatever, send me an email. It's uh, R-I-K-T-H-I-B at gmail.com, ricktib.com. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll have you on the podcast and you can give your versions. Uh, so until part two, uh, this is Rick from Rick's Mix signing off.